Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Pushing Boundaries. In continuation of virtual schools, this is episode two to virtual schools. The last episode that I spoke about, I spoke about five different challenges that uh, will impact the creation or the um, development of virtual schools. Um, Those challenges were spatial limitations, accessible experts, standardizations versus creative approaches to remote learning, partnerships, and infrastructure. So I'm going to address in this uh, episode uh, two challenges uh, in this episode, just really just so that we can digest this and uh, move the agenda. Uh, Remember, when we talk about remote learning and we talk about this challenge to virtual schools, we're not just talking about elementary and we're not just talking about um, high school. We're talking about kindergarten all the way through college, kindergarten all the way through college. And so we're talking about a huge spectrum of changes in the way we fundamentally engage learning in the near future, right? In higher education. Um, And so because all of them are struggling with this, um, this, this forced change based on the pandemic, right? And we know that, you know, in terms of the normal, you know, in, in protecting oneself and, and being healthy, there are going to be some changes for some time before we get back to what it was or if we ever get back to what it was. Um, and so knowing that, we really have to think think ahead of what this means for us in creating a new normal so that people can be effective in these learning structures. Okay, so challenge number one. We want everybody to go back to school. We have to have everybody go back to school. So we know that the vaccine has, has left the door open to possibilities, the possibilities that we can still transmit, uh, uh, we can transmit the, the, uh, the virus to someone else. Um, it doesn't necessarily totally protect us from the virus. It just may, may uh, reduce the, the impact on us. Um, and so those are still challenges in terms of us being in the same space, breathing the same air, you know, um, possibly being contagious to one another. Those challenges still exist. Um, the vaccine is supposed to reduce the severity of it, but we don't know that yet. Um, but we know that we have to go back to school and we have to normalize structures so that people can work, right? Um, a lot of the economy was built on uh, you know, children going to school and having a place to be during the day so that adults can go to work. Um, and that and the, the, uh, the economy can work uh, to um, benefit from those structures. Now that, that that's not happening and all kids are home and adults are home, the economy is greatly suffering. I mean, some online platforms are doing extremely well, yes, uh, namely being Amazon, um, are doing extremely well. But many, as we know in our communities, are closing shop, right, all around us. So what do we do? How are we going to get everybody back in the building? How are we going to get, you know, especially in a place like New York City or New York State, where we have uh, millions and millions and millions of people that have to enter 
you know, um, the same spaces at the same time. And we're talking about crowded conditions. We're talking about, uh, we're talking in New York City, we're talking about uh, classes that are, uh, New York State classes that are 34, 35 students to one teacher, right? We're talking about uh, buildings that are, that are designed to uh, behind agricultural communities off warehouses, right? So when these old structures were designed originally, they were, you know, meant to house a lot of people, right? In a, in a small space. And so these designs now move against, you know, uh, the six feet and a social distancing concept. These, these designs don't allow for social distancing. In fact, some of these designs in terms of the circulation systems and, and, the, and the way they were designed in terms of windows not being, windows not being able to be opened or um, the traffic flow in terms of stairways and maybe the, uh, the, the condition of elevators, all of these things are even the boiler room, right? And, and traditions are, are transitions that are around the public spaces for custodial staff. All of these are challenges in terms of the quality of social distancing that we could have in our schools, right? Um, and, the, and these agriculture and industrial designs, you know, a lot of these designs are similar to the same architects that designed, fortunately designed these schools, also designed a lot of the prisons around the country, right? And so these, these buildings are, are models of each other um, meant to contain, right? And it, the problem with containing at this point is that we're containing a lot in it, we're containing people and germs and viruses and, and all kind of things that can lead to uh, um, another pandemic. Um, and so, so how do we create, you know, how do we take these spaces that currently exist and open them up, right? And create um, open spaces where there's a free flow of air, right? And there's, a, there's, a tra there's an ability to transition uh, through communities uh, with space. Um, just think of your, you know, your subway platform. So if you don't, if you're not familiar with New York City schools, it's similar to if you've ever written, written, uh, written the uh, subway, similar to getting on a train. There are four or five doors on a train that you get on a, to a single cart. Those doors close. There are, there, are, or there are windows, but there's no limitation in terms of how many people get on that train at that point. Um, and, and lots of schools are similar that way. We have schools, we have something like 5,000 uh, students in these buildings, right? Um, and they're overcrowded. And, and so the, these are real concerns and real challenges in terms of how do we rethink how we do things, right? Now, it, they work in terms of staffing ratios, right? So we know that if you have a certain amount of kids, we need a certain amount of adults. And so if we're talking about 5,000 and you're talking about typical classroom is 34 and you need one teacher per classroom, then you, you do the math in terms of how many teachers you need in the 5,000 uh, um, student building, right? The other thing is if you, uh, if you have uh, students with disabilities, you need a 15 to 1, right? So if you're talking about 15 students to one adult, uh, for your self-contained classes, then you gotta, and you have, um, say, in, in, in a particular school of 5,000, you have maybe uh, 1,500 or, or 900 students with disabilities, then you do the math on that, right? That's in addition to the one to the 34, because those are general ed classrooms. Then if you need a power for a kid, and you need, you know, and this this is a person that moves with the student throughout the day, all day long, then that's, a, that's and, and you have maybe, 300 uh, students who need that support, that's 300 adults that are moving with a kid, one-to-one, -one, right? So that's, that's, a, that's another thing. Um, and then you have, you have, uh, you have your, um, your, 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 your co-teaching models. Your co-teaching models require there are two teachers in a classroom with a, with a 34 uh, a student class with 
not all of them being uh, general ed, but a, co a composition of general ed uh, students with disability and st uh, students um, learning uh, f whose first language is not English, all in the same room, right? And they're all getting services. So you could imagine the the uh, the amount of people that are need needed to uh, drive the instructional um, goals of that community. So that that is a challenge there, right? That's a, that's a challenge in terms of how we design the space, but also how we design staffing for the space, right? And they, they translate into one another. Um, and so this is a big concern. So that's just, let me just, I mean, I'm just going to put that there, right? Just that there in itself. Now let's just talk about some of the, the, uh, the day of, of a typical um, community, right? And I'm going to go to the college community. So in the college community, you know, you have a spectrum of classes that people get to plug into. And some people come in Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Some people come in Tuesday, Thursday. Some people come in every day for a certain course. It depends, right? They're not in school full day, but they're in school for um, they they're 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 in, in these classes for a maximum amount of time or in certain days to get certain hours, right? Um, and there's a there's a constant inflow and outflow of students who are coming. And so on a commuter campus, there's there's definitely a flow from out in the community. Right. And the public coming from public transportation, all these various different places that people come from and interaction and making contact with one another and then coming into this, this space. Right. And so in colleges, you could have classes as, as small as 15 to as, as large as 500 when you're talking about a science class, you know, talking about an entry science class. Right. Like a biology or something like that, an early class, early um, uh, science class. You're talking about biology or some of your science class, they're talking about 500, 600 students in that classroom. So these people are entering and they having they, they might come in for this class and this professor may teach three of those in one day. So that's, you know, that's, that's uh, 1,800 students in that classroom for science. Uh, whereas then you have the other classes that may have 20, 20, 20 students or 18 or 15 students three times a day. And that's another class. But in the college community, we know that there's a there's a um, there's fluid transitions in the community, right? We, there's really no set schedule, but there people are constantly moving uh, amongst each other, like in a small city, right? Um, what about those colleges that um, students stay on campus, right? And so they come for their communities and they they come to uh, storm, they stay in their dorms and they they uh, they ushered into these dorms and they live together in this community for a certain set of time and then they go home on the holidays and they come back right so all of these are tr tr challenges in terms of how do we live uh, beyond the pandemic with social distancing um, these are challenges of our of our of environments you know um, what's what's going to be considered safe and how do we do this effectively to create space and open air environments and making sure that you know the older colleges also are ready. Um, with proper ventilation uh, systems and, uh, you know, that they, they have the this, this, this social distancing that they need throughout the day in all transitions, in all spaces of the school community. Complicated, right? It's very complicated because when you talk about social distancing, what you talk about essentially is reduction. Reduction. Reduction of numbers of people in the same space, right? Reduction of the amount of people that can use a space, right? Reduction of in terms of access to a space, you know, all of a sudden, the blueprint in terms of the fire code begins to change with social distancing. I, I don't know if that's thought about with the cities and um, with code throughout um, municipalities. But if we're talking about social distancing to prevent the spread of, uh, you know, COVID and, and, you know, if this is going to be a lifelong challenge for our civilization, then we're going to have to look at building codes in terms of um, 
the, the uh, how many people can be in the same space, right? Footprint, the, you know, people footprint, right? Or I don't know what they call it. They call it the um, the, the uh, they, they, there's a sign that they I can't think of it right now, but there's a there's a term that they use in terms of how many people can be in a space at a time. That may have to be adjusted. Right. Um, climate, you know, is a good thing in some ways when it's warm. Of course, you can go outside, you can use uh, certain facilities, you can, you know, go out in the field and have classes there. And so it just gives you greater flexibility. But what about those places where it rains often? Right. In Seattle, maybe you can't be outside of you outside. You're under a tent. Right. Um, the noise of the rain. And so that's a challenge. Or, or if you're in northeast, you know, in the northeast, it's the snow, it's the cold. Right. And um, more so than the snow and 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 then you know at times it's the the sleet and the the, the weather that's unpredictable or even if you're in, in the Midwest it's it's the winds it's the tornadoes right it's the you know the, it's the it's south it's the hurricanes right all of these things are influential factors in terms of the possibilities of being outdoors right and we know that we we've, we've built spaces to keep us sheltered in from the elements but it's at the same time we're we're running from the elements of a weather to running into uh, biological elements. Like like uh, COVID, right? And so another challenge, right? Um, you know, so when we got we talk about school designs, climate transitions of the way people move in and out of buildings, in and out of spaces, in and out to from classroom to classroom, uh, even into places like the cafeterias, right? How do we how do we control those environments? How do we prevent overcrowding? You know, one of the things that you know many cities have. Uh, tried to do is called rotational access, right? And what they've done is they've developed rotational schedules. And so you have schedules where it's a schedule where a percentage of the population comes to school on a, you know, Monday and a Wednesday. Another, like similar to college, but um, for the for the high schools and, and elementary schools, just so that everybody can get access because we are talking about reduction of students or people in spaces, right? So that everyone can get access. Some students have the opportunity to come in two days a week and have direct instruction. Other students have the other two days. So it's Monday and Wednesday for one group and then Tuesday and Thursday for another group. And then Friday is a, is a, is a support day for students who are struggling with the model, right? To get additional support inside of the building. And so you have that. That's in addition to outside remote learning, right? That's one of the ways that people have, have tried to um, adapt, you know, the losses in instruction because believe it or not, the truth of the matter is that, you know, there is a need for human contact. You know, as we as we see many students, many students, especially here in um, the city, are struggling with um, the remote learning platform, you know, not having the contact and the, and the, the uh, some students are doing well, but uh, many students are not doing well because they don't have the the um, the human initiation there or the biological interaction that they need from another adult or from the quote unquote expert in the room. And, and so they're, they're losing interest and, and not engaged. And um, the purpose and the value of it for them is, is being lost, you know, because there's so many competing interests in terms of information, right? There's the Netflix, there's Instagram, there's TikTok, there's all of these things that are competing for the interest. And so they are struggling with staying connected with school. And that's at all levels. That's K through our graduate school. All levels are struggling with what what's the purpose of this? Why does this matter? Um and then there's, you know, so so one of the things, again, back to, you know, New York City, because I'm going to speak from where I'm, where I'm from, um, we're having trouble with our city. You know, our city is under crisis right now. Many people have moved out to the suburbs, and I just left the state altogether because they're overcrowding. 
And with the pandemic, see, the problem with the pandemic is that the overcrowding is has there's no way to move and transition through the city without being next to someone else, right? Without not having to share a certain kind of space, right? And that's the train, right? That's the West Side Highway. There's, you know, your public parks. And, and, and I'm talking public parks where you have, you know, like in Manhattan, we have several buildings where you could have, you know, 500,000 people on one block, right? Because you're talking about high rise. You're talking about sky, skyscrapers. And when these people empty out for activities like lunch, which is a common time for most people, or they empty out the activities, a common time like exercise at the end of the day or before the day, you, all these people are entering and exiting in the same space, right? And so these people have moved out. And a lot of these, um, especially businesses, have closed shop and they've, um, you know, they've, they've allowed their employees to uh, work from home, those who are still in existence. Some have just closed shop altogether and uh, closed down that business. And so they, those, those spaces that were once uh, occupied by these companies are no longer occupied. Right. And so there's an opportunity here, right, in terms of solution, solution. So the city, you know, has empty spaces, um, you know, in terms of I'm not talking about the financial part of this. We have to talk about that next. But we have these empty spaces that would allow for students to uh, be spread out. Right. And so if you look strategically by where schools are located and empty um, corporate buildings with space, you could possibly create satellite spaces. Right. And. You can start to um, separate schools, uh, uh, you know, uh, break up schools and and distribute like your assistant principals to uh, satellite spaces within these buildings, sort of like small schools where you have even smaller classes for, for kids to coexist or even larger rooms that allow for the appropriate social distancing with the right uh, filtration system for kids to really have in-person learning. Right. And so that's just an idea. Um, and, you know, really thinking about the spaces in these corporate environments because they, they um, reorganize them and re-engineer the spaces all the time, you know, within the, the shell of the structure. And, you know, these things can be re-engineered to make sure that uh, from K through graduate that people have the, 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 the adequate space to move and exist, right? Um, and so, you know, they're, they're, this goes in line with the 10-minute communities that I spoke about in an earlier podcast about you know, um, creating more healthier conditions for people by, by having, you know, people be able to work near their um, work and have quality food in the same community within 10 minutes and a public park within 10 minutes. Right. And so you, now you add this to the formula, having the appropriate spacing um, uh, within 10 minutes of, of where they live and and even for people that are working. So if people are working from home and and corporations continue to to work um uh, remotely, uh, I know Google is going to be bringing in their people in uh, a certain amount of time. I think uh, they're talking about spring. But even if they remain remote, you know, having people having spaces that are available that are rented, like the co-op spaces where people can go and use a desk, you know, um, and come into some sort of like a a, sh- a shell of a space, and they can bring their materials with them, and they can operate um, outside of their home for the day. Right. And so all of these things are students are, you know, want to use a library or they want to study grad students or, or, or undergraduate students want a place to uh, engage in their remote learning, not from home, but somewhere else. Maybe they can go to one of these uh, structures that allow this co-op space. Right. Um, to exist. And so that that would mean that, you know, the city would have to do some sort of 
um, distributive funding in terms of making that possible. Um, you know, so that it's 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 a challenge, definitely a challenge. But we have to look at the possibilities, especially not you know uh, creatively utilizing spaces um, in a way that benefits all. Right? We don't want empty spaces in New York City. Doesn't it's not a good look. But we also need space in New York City for um, to extend on these community colleges, uh, these universities that are overcrowded, and and these schools that are overcrowded, so people can be properly socially distanced. Um, challenge number two. Let's address that. Challenge number two. Two um, thoughtful access to experts. One of the problems with remote learning is that uh, you know there's 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 see remote in remote learning you know. See in, in brick and let me just say in brick and mortar, you're able to like create like a like a puzzle or or categories for the how you use people, right? And so you take one adult, you say like again, we go back to the five thousand uh, student community, and then how many teachers you need to that. And but what you do is you you can you can then divide the population that's suitable to that adult in a very um, manageable way. So this 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 has been attempted through remote learning, which is extremely difficult um and one of the challenges with remote learning is that when when a person when a person is 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 dedicated to a number of people in a remote way it kind of it it, it 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 you would think that it would be um create a, additional flexibility for that adult to to operate but actually it's actually makes it more difficult because now you have to remember, you have to say, okay, what's the workload on this one individual uh, to do this remotely, right? And and because we've just transitioned to remote learning without practice, without prior training, without prior knowledge, without the appropriate tools that have yet to be discovered and created uh, for this to, remote, uh, to work remotely, there's tremendous limitations in terms of access to experts, right? Um, you know, many of our students can, you know, the addition the, the class time is just not enough. There needs to be some additional time, right, uh, to get it done and to learn through this new structure, right? Um, and it's hard, it's, it's, it's becoming increasingly harder to tailor um, additional supports for struggling students. And this is from K through um, college, right? It's becoming addition, it's very hard. It's just not enough time there's not enough space and because we what we have here is we have um the stretching the reach of a teacher so as the teacher is trying to teach and learn to teach in these remote platforms they, they're coming up so what's happening is in terms of the rigor or the depth of knowledge or the depth of the quality of instruction is becoming more shallow now we're now we're looking for more or less coverage right we're trying to get through things because we're trying to we're learning things and we're trying to get it done but also there's a time limit on the amount of time, FaceTime, that these adults can give their students. And so with this time limit on the FaceTime, you know, they're not, they're not maximizing it because it's in the early stages of development. They're not maximizing their time through this remote learning. And therefore, students are losing actually more instructional time. More of the instructional time is actually on the student themselves in terms of what they do outside of what they're getting from the teacher is really the key here. And what the parents are doing to ensure that they're shoring up the lost time, right, is more of the key here. So because, and and the parents um, have to, in some ways, try to be an extension of the expert, the teacher, right? Um, and, you know, for some, it's it's difficult in the, in the earlier levels of, of learning. Others, is difficult in, in the higher levels of learning. 
And then it's for others, it's really difficult in, in the upper levels of learning, right? Um, and so here has, here's how it's been tried to address. We tried to address it with the group, small group instruction. Now, small group, small group instruction works well when you have like teams and you do a little breakout room or you have Zoom, you do your breakout room. Uh, you know, you try to do it that way. But even in that structure, when you go into breakout rooms, like something that's different from a classroom is that when you, you the visually and spatially, the adult is in the same room when they break up into groups and they can hear, they can hear and they can see cues, various cues in terms of what to do to either um, guide that group into the right direction or adjust the, uh, the speed of the group or maybe make um, uh, uh, adjustments to the, uh, the student grouping based on the, the visual cues or stimulus that is getting, that they're getting from a, from a live space. That is not happening in a remote platform. So what happens is when you go in a breakout room, that teacher is temporarily absent from another room. So if, they, if there are five rooms and they go into one room, there are four rooms that no one is there. And until that teacher gives uh, support to that one group, that one group, then the other groups are at a loss. And then when they go into the next group, then other groups are at a loss. And you go to the next group, the other groups are at a loss. And so this becomes a challenge in terms of um, having access to the expert. Learning pods. Learning pods are small, right? So a lot of so something that's that's been going on is with parochial schools and schools that are somewhat um, outside of um, the public education system, you know, or people who have taken their kids out of the public education system have gone to learning pods. And what they essentially what this what they're doing is they're paying teachers who are uh, maybe uh, retired or not in the system anymore to host classrooms in their homes. And so they host these classrooms in their homes throughout the day and they teach all of the subjects, the course subjects through a, um, a homeward bound uh, learning. Right. Uh, and they they home uh, homebound learning. And so they take this curriculum and they teach it. Right. And they test and they assess and they, and they submit all of the required paperwork to the state uh, as required with a small group of students. This could be anywhere from two. It could be one. It could be five. Could be ten in their home, right? Uh, the challenge with that is that you know it takes great trust, right? You, you know, on both sides, right? The the person who's hosting is, you know, are they uh, socially distancing and, and protecting their host, their homes, and and their themselves from uh, COVID? And then the kids who are coming to them, what's going on in their households with their families and their parents and their community? Are they protecting themselves, and so they're not bringing it to the host? Um, and and when you talk about these these Communities in a home, you know, are they ideally suited to be classroom spaces, right? Um, do they have all the 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 materials and 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 uh, supports necessary to um, support those students? You know, they're not going to have maybe the additional teacher. You know, they may not have the uh, the smart board, and they may not be able to give every kid a Chromebook uh, or some sort of laptop learning device or. Um, some of the digital learning platforms that they need to support their learning, right? This, they may have to go back to some traditional things, you know, pen and paper, right? Um, writing utensils. And so it begins to go back into, you know, so some people, you know, feel there's nothing wrong with that, but it's somewhat, you go back into um, tr traditional methods of, of teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? And um where does that play out? Is there a limitation to that? Is there a benefit to that? Who knows? But those that's what's happening in learning parts. Um, 
my idea was holograms. You know, I watch uh, Star Trek and, uh, you know, Hunger Games and all of these shows and uh, The Running Man and all of they, they They've always preached. Or uh, what's the other one? Like um, Hannah. They, they preach all of these. Um, or they not preach, but they suggest holograms in terms of how people communicate. Um, and how people get information. And I'm surprised that we're not using it. Um, some cars have it across the screen in terms of if you want to look at GPS, they it projects it across the screen instead of you having to look at the box and you take your eye off the road and look at the box uh, at, at, the, at the center console. You can actually uh, look at the windshield and you can see the GPS. I don't know if they're doing it anymore, but that was an idea that they were doing on some cars. Um, maybe we have to consider holograms. Maybe a hologram has to appear in your house. Maybe this teacher, you know, is is scheduled for a certain time, and so, you you know, you get a uh, a direct communication, and maybe it's a, it feels a little more physical, feels a little more engaging, a little more intimate. Having a hologram, who knows? I'm just saying, you know, so it's a bit of information. You see the whole person. Uh, this person can uh, then teach, showcase, and do all the things that are necessary, as if you were standing in front of a live teacher. Um, online platforms is a struggle. For some kids, it works. For many kids, it doesn't. Online platforms is a, is a, is a, is a learn-as-you-go, right? It, it's up to your pace. The problem with online platforms is when a kid gets stuck and they really don't know it. It's very difficult to go beyond what the platform was offering. The, the platforms don't offer enough at, in, their, in their current design to get uh, kids through difficult moments, right? And so they don't have to rely on their parents who may not be able to do it either. And so online platforms are very difficult for uh, kids who get stuck. What happens when they get stuck? What do you do? And I'm talking anywhere from from companies like Apex to uh, you know you know iReady to um, to Khan Academy. What happens when kids get stuck and is not an adult or the expert around, right? It becomes a problem. Tutoring services. You know, tutoring services, many of the tutoring centers like Kaplan and all these uh, centers have closed. Right? They've been closed because of uh, social distancing. And now that they've opened, some have opened, you can't even get in there. There's a waiting list because of social distancing, the reduction of the amount of people that can get in there, and the increase in the amount of people that need tutoring, tutorial services. You've got a situation where now there's, there's not an option to get to, to, tutoring. right? And so where do you get it from? And, um, and how, do you, how, do you, how do you at this point... Um, Look for them, right? How do you look for a tutor? You know, quality tutor that can that can that that'll be well matched with your child's temperament, right? That it works for. You know, how do you do that? Why do you go about that? Where's the service located? And is it affordable? You know, is there a place an entry point for everybody to get in? You know, at all levels, right? You know, um, and we know that you know we we're in a place in our country where there's a lot of have and have nots, right? And so if the have nots are trying to get in, how do they get in? Right? How do they get into these additional supports? Right? Um, the space in place, space in place. You know, um, you have access to, you know, the, these teachers are available and they're available certain times a day, and that is it. And then if you, but if you are not available to be available to that adult or that teacher, that expert, then you have a problem. And that's what I mean about space in place. Depending on what is going on inside your home, you may not be able to have access. To that adult until a certain time of day, right? Um, and that's a problem. And so that's why there's a push also for people going back into the building because of equity. And so if there's two computers and everybody has to use it at all levels, okay, from you know from work to 
to school and different levels of schooling and, and all kind of things that we're doing and people that are, you know, entrepreneurs and then we don't have enough devices, then everybody's not going to have an opportunity to engage in um, structures that were once um, um, uh, uh, once mattered in a brick and mortar. No, it has to be uh, very flexible. And so space and place become a, becomes a condition. Again, I spoke to that earlier, is where do I go to get this done? You know, because I don't have it in my own home, right? And so what's, what's available to me that's not going to uh, break the bank? And then, the, you know, a very important piece, right? The last important piece of this challenge in terms of thoughtful access, access to experts is, are the experts able to translate quality instruction through remote platforms? Are the experts able to translate quality instruction through remote platforms? So in some cases, you have schools that have uh, veteran veteran teachers and and um, they're challenged by the technology technological advances um, many of them may not even trust so many of the techno- technological advances and so they abstain from them right and so now they're at a, at a great learning curve in terms of how to use these things and how to use these devices and these platforms and to be effective and how to move away from just lecture right and so I mean lecture you can do that you can do that on a podcast you can do that. You know, sort of what I'm doing, right? <laughs> Lecture, right? You can do that on a podcast. You can do that on a, on, a, on a video platform. But it's not an interaction. It's not an engagement. It's not a back and forth, right? There's not a chance to stop, question, get answers, and go back and forth. So that, that teaching experience can happen. Is it? You know, you don't even need a teacher for the way it's set up in many of these cases in its current form, right? We know that, that many of our students who are coming up and young adults that are coming up, uh, uh, into Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram, right? And he's a swipe, swipe. Get the information, swipe. How many of us are really watching news? Again, I said this earlier. How many of us are really watching the news all day? No, we're not watching it. We got we got we got our apps on our phone, and depending on what app you use, we get all of the major articles and things that based on what we like, and we receive you know headlines for those, and if we like, we click on it, we read it. We get a video on it. Whatever we need, we get it right through our phones. Many of us are not sitting in front of the television watching, but many people and many teachers who have been in the game a long time are still doing that. And also, this is K through college. K through college. And so the quality of instruction through these platforms is faltering. People are not getting the level of instruction they once got in a brick and mortar, which is also creating the need for us to get back into the brick and mortar because at least we can get back to some baseline of a standardized or quality, good instruction, right? Um, a, lot of, a lot of this right now, as, as teachers are learning, you know, there's a lot being lost in, in, in the instructional, um, the instructional uh, uh, quality. The... And this is this, and, and and how you notice this is validated based on many of the states getting rid of their standardized tests, right? Not holding uh, teachers and students accountable for those exams because they know that the quality is not there. Now, thank you again for listening to Virtual Schools. This was episode two. If you please catch up on episode one of Virtual Schools, because I lay out uh, what if, what are virtual schools and where does it come from, and also the five challenges. Today we've addressed two challenges. Challenge one, spatial limitations. Challenge two, thoughtful access to experts. Hopefully these will get, get you know will help you to think about um, 
how we should reimagine schools. I don't have all the answers. I'm just talking through my own experience and just being thoughtful about, um, you know, creatively rethinking the way we go about, you know, learning. Um, one of the things, most important things about civilization is that we're a learning people and the learning people stay around, right? Um, it's when we stop learning and, and uh, other people are learning and, and we stop using our brains and we stop, to, we stop existing, right? We have to be thoughtful and continuously um, look to for solutions to improve our conditions and way of life. Thank you for listening to episode two of Virtual Schools. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.